0: This podcast is sponsored by Harlan Clark, a Vericast business. Mergers and acquisitions present enormous opportunity, but the ultimate value of any M&A lies in retaining and satisfying current and acquired members. Learn how Harlan Clark can help turn every member interaction into a moment of opportunity to mitigate disruption, build loyalty, and strengthen your brand. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. In more ordinary times, mergers and acquisitions are huge undertakings for credit unions. They're both challenging and exciting. Those characteristics haven't changed as a result of the coronavirus or COVID-19, but the pandemic-driven digital transformation that has occurred adds a new layer of complexity and consideration to the process. I'm Casey Mishleevey, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Carrie Stapp, Senior Vice President of Financial Institution Product Management at Harland Clark. In her role, Stapp works with financial institutions to plan, manage, and execute engagement strategies. This is particularly important during mergers and acquisitions, when existing and acquired members need to know they are valued and how they will benefit from the changes. Stat points out that mergers and acquisitions in the financial services industry have picked up during the pandemic, and convenient, scalable digital tools are essential for shepherding members through the M&A process. She explains how mergers and acquisitions can affect the member experience as well as employee morale— And provides guidance for effective communication with members and staff at various stages of the M&A roadmap. Staff also shares crucial advice for making the most of the membership base acquired during an M&A and honing the member service experience so contact centers are well prepared to support requests and answer questions from beginning to end of the process. Carrie, the last year has really been marked by digital transformation, and I don't think anybody would argue that. It's been a growing trend for a while now, and the pandemic environment really accelerated the shift to a lot of digital platforms and digital tools. So how has that digital transformation that we are probably going to see continue beyond the pandemic how has that digital transformation affected mergers and acquisitions activity in the financial sector?
1: You know, obviously, we're seeing a really big uptick in the financial sector right now with mergers and acquisitions. And it's quite an interesting trend where you're seeing a lot of big financial institutions buying other big financial institutions, which is making the bigger, bigger and the smaller, seemingly smaller, right? And so, In my opinion, digital transformation is probably going to be one of the biggest drivers of merger and acquisition activity. And I think that that's going to be exacerbated even more by the pandemic. And so I think all of this is coming together and impacting M&A activity in a way that even though we've had periods of high M&A activity and then lulls, I think we're in a unique environment for digital transformation combined with the need for M&A or the desire for M&A. And so what I think is really going on here is that digital transformation is no longer a like to have. And I have 20 years of experience directly in the financial services sector. And so I've been through the days of building websites and building online banking systems and building new payment systems. And those things have always been in the background, right, of what we need to do as a financial institution to stay competitive. Today, it's really a gamble if you aren't doing it, where in the past, it was maybe more of a gamble if you were too out in front of it, that there wasn't going to be high adoption of this or that technology. And the pandemic really transformed the consumer in terms of how they interact with every company, every vendor, anything that they're dealing with, it's really transformed that. And the financial institutions are no different, right? So digital transformation is now a must-have. So I must have multiple ways for me to be able to do my business. I must have access to my funds and all kinds of personalization techniques I want to be talked to in a certain way. And so I think what's happening is that those needs, right, that these are no longer like to haves and they're must-haves is causing a lot of financial institutions to take a step back and say, are we really going to be able to compete in this world? What does our landscape look like when our footprint likely needs to be bigger than the zip code where I reside? I have to get bigger, wider. My competition is getting bigger and wider, and it's not just the credit union down the street that I'm competing with or the bank down the street. It's all of these you know, online fintechs and all of these things. I think what it's causing is a lot of FIs to take a look and say, number one, how am I going to grow in this environment? Because if I'm not growing, I'm declining. And how am I going to grow? And how am I going to do that profitably when in order to grow, I'm going to need to digitally transform? And so that's why I believe that digital transformation is going to enhance or accelerate M&A activity over the next you know, year, two, three years for the financial services industry.
0: And you mentioned something that has really gained in importance over the last 14 months or so as we've been living through the pandemic, which is the customer experience or the member experience for credit union members. That has really come to the forefront as something that is crucial for businesses to retain customers and retain members. So how does a merger and acquisition affect that member experience? Well, from the moment that merger or an acquisition is
1: announced, it's going to put a certain level of anxiety into the member's mind, right? There's all kinds of questions that are going to happen for them, such as what's going to happen to my account? Am I still going to have accessibility to my funds will my local branch still be open and all of the people that I still deal with where do I make my loan payments all of those questions start to pop up and while we have the ability as a financial institution to answer all of those questions over that course of the transformation from one institution to the other that anxiety stays in there and the frank matter is is that a lot of the consumers and members aren't reading every single thing that we send them and so Our ability to take a look at the member experience, starting with the member in mind and not starting in a silo of our own business units or whatever is going on is crucial. And looking at that in a, let's say, a FAQ sort of way, right? What are all of the questions that are popping into my members' minds that I need to ease their minds on? And number two, provide a holistic experience for them to not only get through this transformation of potentially new account numbers, getting a new debit card reissued, all of those things, that they know the instructions of the short term, but also understanding the mission and values of the new institution to which they're going to be a part of. They want to know, you know, what's going to happen to the employees that I deal with every day, what's going to happen with being approved for credit and all of the stuff that they get used to. You know, we're really the backbone behind the way that so many of these members live their lives, even though they might not recognize it every single day. And so any disruption like that really becomes a top of mind awareness to what's going to end up happening. And so we can't overlook that holistic strategy and understanding what all is going to be changing from that member's experience level and from their purview and then you know design it from there. I think the other thing that I I would be remiss if I don't point out is that the member experience doesn't just affect that institution being acquired. It also affects all of the existing members of the acquirer, right? And so what's going to happen to call center volume times? What do, you know, rates and specials that you're going to offer or branding, things that you're going to be doing, what does that look like to your existing member base And are they still going to be taken care of in the same way and still feel valued in addition to, you know, bringing on a whole new set of members? And so you really do need to balance the overall SLAs that you're providing in your branch and your contact centers or any point, you know, a connection point for them into your institution and set your volumes accordingly so that you don't have any sort of disruption to your existing members while you're bringing in those new
0: and earlier you mentioned growth, which is a huge concern for credit unions. And any credit union that's gone through a merger and acquisition would have a lot to say about all of the challenges that come with that process. But I do think it's really important to recognize that there are opportunities there too. And a lot of those opportunities relate to growth. So what can you tell us about maximizing the full potential of the acquired member base? My experience, and I think I've
1: been through more than 20 mergers and acquisitions on the buying end, and I've also been on the I'm being acquired side of it, and from an employee perspective, as well as now as a member. And so being an employee, one of the things that I think prevents the institution from maximizing the full potential is again, it's so tactical in those moments, right? That time from when you've announced the merger and acquisition to when the system conversions happen, when the branding changes happen. There are literally so many tactics because not very often do you have a financial institution that has a dedicated M&A team that is able to transform your credit union while still not doing a day job of whatever it is. I'm a loan operations manager, or I'm over deposit operations, or whatever it is. And so a lot of times what you have is these teams that run divisions within inside the credit union that are also assigned to getting the M&A through. And it's very tactical, right? It's very much like, I've got to make sure the loans get moved. I've got to make sure that I've disclosed the changes to the deposit products or the changes to the rates. I've got to make sure that the debit cards get in hand and that the online banking accounts get transferred. And so sometimes what gets lost, if you don't start with that customer journey first or member journey first in mind you are not going to maximize the full potential of what's being acquired with your member because it's going to feel disconnected and tactical to them instead of feeling personal this is what's happening to me how does this communication about all these changes come to me in a logical way that makes sense to me in my life how is my life going to be affected and how do i solve it when i run into problems where do i go and are you going to be able to answer those questions for me effectively we're just now really in a time where the role of a member experience officer or office of member experience is starting to come around. And if an institution doesn't have that dedicated focus, I would suggest that they get one special for their MA initiative. In order to start with that member experience. That's the first thing that I would say. And look at all of that transformation that needs to happen from their purview and then design your communication strategy around that. But I think what's more is then you maximize that full potential that it's not about cross-selling and bombarding them with additional offers post-merger and acquisition, but it is about letting them know, these are all the ways that we can help you. If a credit union has something like pre-approvals or pre-screens for loans... I would seriously consider running your new member base through that and saying, hey, you know, welcome to our credit union and you're pre approved with us. Those are the types of holistic communications that, in addition to all those changes, makes them feel more welcome and personalized. Hey, they already kind of know me, which is really good. And so it's a welcoming thing beyond it. And so it's not just about a rebrand or getting your name out in front of them, it's truly creating that connection point in times of disruption.
0: I think that's a really crucial point because you're really speaking to the importance of timing and messaging when we are communicating with members during a time like this. And those little things and those details really make the difference between a member who feels like they've been left behind or that they've been left to fend for themselves and a member who really feels like they're being taken care of. And all of that is so crucial to the communication that happens during a merger and acquisition process. What are some other keys to an effective communication strategy during an M&A process?
1: The first priority has to be mapping out the holistic journey for the member, right? Like what's everything that's going to happen and map that out over the course of time from when the member is going to find out what's going on to the final transformation of conversion weekend and beyond. Map out exactly what that looks like and create a holistic strategy across multiple channels. And I can't stress enough what across multiple channels will do, right? Like I said, I have a lot of experience in M&A, and I, I remember the days where we were just inundating with letters And another letter of information and a postcard and, you know, really ways that we were connecting better with our member was through our online banking systems, through messages, through our contact center, through branch information and our branch personnel being equipped with the right questions and FAQs. And so looking at it from a holistic strategy is number one, not just in the individual messages, but what channels are you going to use to get that across. The second thing is you have to consider the volume of information that they will receive, right? So there is all kinds of, like I said, here's what's happening with your debit card. Here's when you're going to be receiving it. You may be reissuing checks. Loan payments may be different. And taking a look at that and making sure, and this can be another challenge, right? Making sure that somebody centrally is looking at what do all of these communications even visually look like in addition to the time frame. Because there is so much nervousness about, is this really from my financial institution? Is this exactly what it should be doing? So if it's coming in an email, if it's coming in an actual letter, if it is something that is in your online banking system, making sure that you're using the same voice, that you're using the same language, that you're using the exact same brand and connection points across everything that you're doing so that they can go, oh yeah, I saw this in a different channel and I know that this is from my institution, which is really good. And then, you know, the third thing I think is that you have to be really clear and concise and remove all of the financial jargon that they may not understand, right? So you take a step back and say, if I didn't work in this environment, what is it that I need to know? And does it make sense if a PIN is being reissued You know, include visualizations of what they're looking for, whatever it is that I'm a fan of video and those types of things, clear and concise communications that's on the members terms so that they take a look at this and go, oh, yeah, this makes complete sense to me. I don't have to work at the credit union for this to make sense to me. I think that that's really important. And then finally, you literally cannot over communicate to the member base, or to the employee base. So the employees have to be as tied into all of those communications so that they can reiterate them, like I said, in the branch, in the contact center, even at little league games, right? People are going to ask you questions about these things if they know you work there. The importance of these messages, there is no such thing as over-communication. I, as a member, am not going to absorb one letter that you sent me saying, oh, well, we told you that was happening. How did you not know, right? So you have to assume that there's got to be multiple touch points in order for the message to start to resonate. I've actually been through mergers and acquisitions where the weekend of, you know, we would have customers or members come in the door and go, wait, what's happening here? We've sent like 15 different things to you and they literally have no idea what's going on. And so there's no way to over-communicate and be, you know, it at the rooftops that this is what's going on.
0: The other really important piece for this process to move successfully is the member service experience. And at some point, people are probably going to reach out with questions depending on their unique situations and their products and services through the credit union. So tell us about some common member service blind spots that can become apparent during a merger and acquisition.
1: The biggest blind spot that I think happens, and we see it all the time with different products and support that we offer to financial institutions during their M&A transition, is what the increased call volume in the contact centers are going to do and being able to strategically map that out and understand what's going to happen on the Monday or Tuesday or week after those digital conversions happen underestimating both inbound and outbound call volume you can have the best digital channels that there are out there but there is always going to be someone that can't navigate those digital channels that their problem can't be solved by digital channels and the last thing they want to do is be sitting on hold for an extreme amount of time and so this is an emerging issue especially actually post pandemic when branches haven't quite been as open and the touch point of a human really becomes in that contact center. We're seeing just an emergence of the importance of the contact center. And so under preparing or not being able to strategically understand what's going to happen to your call volumes and what's a tier one type of a call versus a tier two versus a tier three, meaning I just need a password reset or I don't remember my password or, hey, my debit card didn't arrive. There is a lot of strategy to mapping out and understanding what your call volumes are going to do and then being able to staff and train accordingly so that, again, I I mentioned in an earlier question that you had, that's not just about being able to handle the new member coming in, but also about keeping status quo and really good service level agreements for your existing member base.
0: Yeah. And one of the biggest goals I would think during a merger and acquisition would be retention. And that is so dependent on the experience that's created by the credit union through the communication strategy like we've talked about and through that member service experience. How can credit unions really deliver a white glove transition experience, especially to business critical members? a lot of what we have experience with both here at Harlan Clark and my experience in the FI space is
1: really doing a stratification of your member base and taking a look at those that are more dependent on your services for whatever reason, right? They're high value members or just high service levels that you provide to them. And what we've seen really start to emerge as a trend and really a popular trend is the proactive approach on outreach, right? So not actual human interaction outreach, where we outreach to those customers that are in that what's considered business critical category and having the ability to talk to them and walk them through the changes that are going to be happening for them and not relying on different types of print or digital communication to get that message across. And so they don't become blindsided, again, Monday morning following the transition and they don't even know how to access their accounts it really is beneficial to do a deeper dive stratification of your member base, identify those business-critical customers, and then you know a focused, outbound, in-person or contact center outreach to them to walk them through, here's the series of changes, what questions do you have, what additional training can we provide you for your new online banking systems or ACH systems or whatever it is that you need to train them on, and do that well ahead of the curve so that they don't find themselves blindsided and even more frustrated Monday morning, and then tying up resources that need to be handling the larger call volumes that are coming in from all of the other members. So it's really getting a hold of those more business-critical consumers ahead of the event.
0: And finally, we know that this is going to be a stressful time, probably, for credit unions who are going through it, And there are just a lot of moving parts to keep track of. But I would imagine there are ways to keep better track of all of those moving pieces as well. What advice can you offer for keeping yourself organized, getting through it, keeping your spirits up during what can be a challenging time?
1: Yeah, it is. It becomes really challenging and really draining on leaders and all employees, right? Because you're going to have frontline employees that are learning new systems, they're learning new processes, they're learning new policies. And again, you're most of the time trying to do a day job and there likely could be uncertainty about positions and what's my new role and lack of role clarity, if you will, across the organization. And so number one, I would say if I'm leading an M&A or my institution's getting ready to go through an M&A, I would definitely invest in dedicated project management. If you don't have a dedicated PMO office, I would definitely at least get a temporary professional project management organization stood up that can address this from a 50,000 view and be able to look at decision making and timelines and deadlines in an unbiased way. You have to be able to make the right decisions going through emergent acquisitions. And sometimes those are hard decisions that need to be made. And having an unbiased project management group that is able to say, listen, this is our goal of this individual project, and keeping everybody on task, and that has the ability to hold those folks accountable, really does make for a much smoother transition. So you don't have unintended snags or unforeseen snags along the way, because one arm of your institution wasn't able to get their piece of it done. And I've seen that happen, right? Where, hey, we didn't get the telephone lines ordered in time. And now that's going to push us back. And now facilities can't do what they need to do. There's a lot of that that goes on. And so having a really structured project plan, even if it's hiring a consultant group to come in, I would do that for sure, because it is so, so important. From an employment morale perspective, I think that you have to, number one, for your existing employees of the institution that's acquiring, they're putting in a lot of time and effort, not just in bringing in the tactics of it, but also welcoming new employees into the brand, welcoming them into the culture, and learning how to work together. You can't overlook that emotional state that goes on between, do I fit here? Do I have a role here? It's different than what it looked like before. Or even existing employees feeling a little bit like, is there going to be somebody else that's going to be incoming that knows more than I do? I mean, those are all real feelings that need to be addressed. And so having an HR team and a learning and development team that stays in front of that cultural aspect is super important. I also think having really good branded materials, whether that be clothing or whatever, that makes them feel like, oh my gosh, I feel so good to be a part of this brand. And it's worth what I'm going through right now for this because this is a really exciting time and I can see what we're building is really important. And then celebrate, celebrate, celebrate the successes along the way. It can be very, very stressful. And so there has to be a reward, right? They have to feel not just valued, but rewarded for that extra work. Because like I said, a lot of times, these aren't employees that this is their full time job of getting that M&A through. Most of the time, they're managing an existing line of business as well in some capacity. And so It's a lot on everybody, and so celebrate, celebrate, and the leaders absolutely need to be visible and showing their appreciation for the dedication that these folks are providing to the credit union for the transformation.
0: Thanks for listening to the CUNA News podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is sponsored by Harland Clark. To learn more about Harland Clark's customized credit union solutions, visit harlandclark.com.